We now return to Behind the Music, The Village People on VH1. The year was 1978, and the village people had just hit mainstream with their success with their hit single, Macho Man. Jacques Morelli's vision for a successful music group made up of the stereotypes of the fantasy attire often worn by gay men of the Greenwich Village had worked. But when he formed the members of the band by taking out an ad in a music trade magazine which read, Macho types wanted, must dance, and have a mustache. He failed to find the sixth stereotype he sought to place within the group. I wanted to explore all aspects of homosexual stereotypes. Finding a man to play a cowboy, or a biker, or even a construction worker is easy. But the success we were seeking, it wasn't even much of a challenge to find someone to portray a Native American. Or a sailor. Excusez-moi, while I take a puff of my standard French cigarette. Ah, these men with mustaches were like spandex at the Tour de France. But I was still missing one. The role Morelli wanted was filled by Marcus Welby. Marcus Welby, MD, had been a successful TV series about a fictional doctor that had ran for seven seasons. In one episode of the show, Dr. Welby advised a middle-aged man to resist his homosexual impulses. Another episode tied homosexuality with pedophilia. Under pressure from gay rights groups and advertisers, the series was canceled, allowing Welby to fill the last stereotype, that of the homophobe. They told me to come in and dress as a doctor. There would be some singing and some dancing. I had no problem with that. It wasn't until that summer that I realized I didn't fit in. From the start, Welby was not considered popular by fans of the group. He wrote songs for the band, but they were rarely played. It may have been the lyrics that didn't sit well with the fans. Songs such as Bottom of the Man Pile and Choose to Be Like Reagan charted poorly. I didn't get it. I thought I was just there because they needed a white heterosexual role model to help with the music. It wasn't until 1980 that someone called me the homophobe. I'm gonna be real straight. I'm not a homophobe. Queers and dykes can choose to do whatever they want to. Just as long as they don't talk about it in public. I had overestimated how much people enjoyed stereotypes. I mean, sacre bleu! Look at moi! I have pencil mustache, red beret, white and black striped Breton shirt, I drink three bottles of wine just before noon, and I'm holding a baguette. Je suis magnifique. Welby's time was coming to a close with La Village, I mean, the village people. By the time the feature film Can't Stop the Music was being filmed, his role was completely cut. I was really upset that my scenes were all cut before principal photography began on the set. I thought that I would become the next Robert Redford, but then I saw the film. I was like, oh, thank God, I wasn't in that massive train wreck. Welby now lives in Reno and spends most of his time behind Tacos, Tacos, Tacos getting tugged off by Terry. Hello and welcome to Stinker Madness, 
The movie is Can't Stop the Music, the Razzie-winning film from 1980 that beat out Xanadu. The Razzie-producing film. Oh, yes, yes. As we'll later learn. Shock full. It is Jackie's pick this week. Yep, I'm pretty excited. I have not seen this movie, but I have great expectations based off the cover that I saw on Netflix. I'm going to be honest. I had never even heard of this movie until we did the Xanadu episode, because I thought for sure Xanadu was a lock on the Razzie, and the fact this beat out Xanadu for the worst movie of the year, wow. And that together they came to form the Razzie. Yeah. Who's like, I can't believe this shit. I have to make something because of it. Well, the reviews on... uh. IMDb are actually pretty positive uh, that it's uh, an entertaining and fun and just a mess and and good and everything that you would want in a bad movie. So I look forward to it. Let's get it started with the streaming do's and don'ts this week. Starting with uh, two right out of the gate. These are all Netflix movies uh, from Christopher Coppola. Number one, Dracula's Widow, starring that guy from Home Alone 3 and uh, apparently the lady from the Emmanuel movies. Oh, and the guy was also in Twin Peaks. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the guy from Twin Peaks. Yeah, great. Thoughts? I liked that one. That was fun. Yeah, I liked it, too. I thought it was kind of fun. I'd say do. It's a turd. (laughs) It stinks. (laughs) It takes place in a wax museum, kind of. It's the second worst Dracula movie I've ever seen in my life. It doesn't manage to uh, really get it wrong as much as, was it Dracula 3000? 3000. I can't remember which thousand it was. CBD and Erica Laniac and Tiny Zeus Lister and Coolio. Yeah, it it didn't get it all that wrong. Even though it would have had Dracula 3000 not existed, this would be the worst. It's a real bad film. It's real bad. And it is thoroughly entertaining throughout the entire thing. I really like it. It's really funny. I liked the scenes when she was talking to the Van Helsing descendant, and she was just really upset that, like, things didn't go her way. Yeah. She's been dead or asleep for however long. I was like, really? All that bad stuff happened, and now I'm just some middle-aged tart wandering around the streets with nothing to do and he's like yeah it's like well, that sucks i don't like it <laughs> i also like that she has been reawoken from the times of uh vlad when dracula was killed by van helsing or so- i guess it's not during vlad's time but it's directly it takes place after van helsing stakes dracula in uh uh bram stoker's dracula as weird to believe and yes. she has been dead this entire time and then reawoken into the into modern times and she has no qualms with it she's like hailing taxis going to bars she has no uh concept of anything weird like no culture shock at all about 80s new york i think is where it's supposed to take place at i don't know it was in la was it in la yeah he doesn't really like, he shoots outside of his house, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm sure it was filmed in L.A., but it did take place in L.A. Because in the streets, you know how, like... I don't know, because it's just so obviously Main Street L.A. that it's hard to, like, yeah, but you know think how about whether or not it was that meant take to be. place in New York always look one way, where it's always night, the streets are always wet, and uh, the sewers always have steam coming out of them. Yeah, you know, that's... In- I'd go so far as to say that the ones that I really recognize the most are the Long Island films. Like, when something's shot on the Long Island, there's just shit everywhere. It's like the dumpiest town ever. You're like, oh, they shot on Long Island. This looks dumpy. That's what I'm saying. This is Long Island. It's one of those spooky, like, whoa, the streets are, like, cold and icy and foggy and, like, 
uh, evictions of, or not evictions, uh, <laughs> evictions. <laughs> get the fuck out of here. Evictions of tenants. Yes. Because the rent is too damn high. The rent high. is too damn high in New York. That is true. Uh, I always think about the manhole covers, you know, like you said, with the steam coming up. Uh-huh. And I know that that's, it's not what I'm going to say it is, but in my imaginative mind, it's the rats huddled around a little smoking rats barrel of shit. With and they're like, God, it's so cold. And then the, the smoke from their, their warmth barrel in the sewers is is yeah. what's coming up the manhole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it could be the alligators that are on fire. As an immediate correction to bashing the people of Long Island, I would say, you know, clean that shit up. But they did. They did. Yeah, it's just Long Island, 1980. Ew. Well, Dracula's Widow. Uh, yeah, hell of a good time. Uh, I think part of my favorite why I recommend this film is because it is very gory. Very, very gory. Like, lots of gore makeup. Uh, people's bits are flying all over the place. But, and so, so it's like top notch effects, uh, visual effects, or special effects, excuse me, makeup and things of that nature. But it is really bad acting. Like, horrendously awful acting. Nobody is believable, but you're, you're presented with these like gruesome scenes and everybody's like, whoa. That's a lot of body parts. What happened here? It's laughable. It is completely laughable. It's a total dichotomy in what they're trying to present and portray the horror of things, but you're cracking up at these nutsacks on, on your tube going, derp. I, yeah, it is. And it, it's just funny, but I also thought that it, it was just peculiar that the one set of tits that you expect to see are Sylvia Crystals. Uh huh. Cause she's in Emmanuel. Right. She's basically a French porno. Softcore. And you don't, well, actually, it was Yulst Yakin, I believe, that directed that. Okay. His name's, it, it, when you read it, 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 it really seems like his name is Just Jackin. <laughs> just Jackin. <laughs> nice. But that's not it. Um, Yulst Yakin. <laughs> just Jackin. <laughs> just Jackin. <laughs> directed a French porno movie. <laughs> Some of the best non, like, hard R's, what became, the, the erotic film genre is basically invented by Yulst Yakin. <laughs> or just jacking. <laughs> just jacking. <laughs> Ridiculous. But yeah, you'd expect to see her. No, it's everybody but her takes it off. It's funny. So that's three dues from us. Dracula's Widow on Netflix, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Moving on to G-Men from Hell, also from Christopher Coppola. Uh, this has got Robert Goulet, uh, William <laughs> Forsythe. Bobby Goulet. Uh, the, the, his partner. What the hell's that guy's name? Oh, oh, the guy from the shitty eighties movie. We Memphis just Bell. Memphis um, Bell. Yeah, he's he's. Oh god damn it! Weird mouth. Weird. William. Mouth breather guy. Uh, the lady from Weird Science and uh, Kingpin. Yeah, we're naming names here. Yeah, yeah. It's got, it's got it some faces in here. it. Got some faces in it. Well, William Forsythe, of course, is in the film. Yeah. Uh, I didn't like it. I it fell was, asleep. I think that really it was exactly what they tried to do. It's just that what they tried to do wasn't that good. Yeah. Unfortunately. Much better execution than, uh, Dracula's Widow for sure. Just, uh, wasn't very interesting. Yeah, it wasn't. It was just a little slow and it didn't really, as, as hard as it tried to be a comic book on screen, the bizarre angles, which I, I actually noticed that he was using bizarre angles a lot in, uh, the vampire Dracula's Widow, Dracula's Widow or, or whatever. But yeah, it just didn't work and it was too much. Yeah. It, and it was boring. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It was boring. I didn't, I couldn't get into it. So I'm going to give it a no. I also give it a do not. 
I think it's worth a go. Hmm. Hmm. Not, uh, I'm going to give it a 51%. Yeah. Tate Donovan being Tate the guy Donovan, that we forgot yes, yeah. about. And uh, Vanessa Angel being mm-hmm. the lady mm-hmm. we forgot about. Last but not least, Pet Cemetery. Do. I haven't <laughs> seen it. it for a long time, and I don't remember <laughs> if it's worth doing or not. I know it's worth doing. I can just say that right now. It's so sick. It's So is Cujo. They're both just fun. But the thing that I don't get about Pet Cemetery is the guy that's like, he wants them to go put him in the pit. Don't go out there. Don't don't go, go up on that. Y'all, y'all, whatever you do, don't bury a son up there. Why did you tell me about this place then, you dickhead? <laughs> this is like TV for that guy. It is. That guy just sits in you his know. house and watches people's lives get ripped apart. Did you know by who, undead zombie who children that guy and animals? Is? It's uh the Herman Monster. Herman Monster. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Or the judge from my cousin Vinny. Oh yeah, that too. Absolutely. I loved it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had never seen this movie in my life. I had escaped the 80s, never having watched it. My mother would never allow me to watch such vile filth about I don't even know what this film is about. Resurrected pets and is children. It, is it? It's I, about it, the cat gets hit by like a a fuel truck, right? Oh, the the truck, dude. The truck is so big that there wouldn't be any cat left. I'm going to no, be honest. No. With you. Yeah. The, well, they the don't actually they, show it. That what they show is the cat that's been yeah. frozen onto the grass, and they have to peel him off like a piece of ivory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it was like a fruit fucking roll up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, uh, don't take that fruit roll up up past the uh, several rocks and the waterfall over there. Just, you know, don't do that. If you if you take that over there, it'll become a very evil fruit roll up cat. I like the fact that they buried nothing in Pet Cemetery. Nothing gets buried ever in this. They just film take it up at... there and set it next to a bunch of fucking rocks. No, there's two. There's two cemeteries. There's Pet Cemetery where oh yes, it's a lovely place because of the tr- the fast truckers. Oh well, we gotta we gotta bury our our, our dead animals over here. Uh, but uh, if your cat dies, we're going to take it to a fucking Mimec ancient burial ground that's on top of a goddamn mountain that takes you 15 hours to get there. The cat gets hit in the morning, and then they get to the top of the mountain at 3 a.m. I'm pretty sure that, that cat walk. was smelly. It's a nice hike to some really spooky shit if yeah. you don't have a dead fruit roll-up cat. I I love this film because it is praised as one of his best, Stephen King's, Best adaptations, uh, anyway. Best adaptation, and it is the dumbest story ever. They, I like the. You know what? I I remember a lot about this film as we're talking about it. I enjoyed the feeling of it, like as you're the first half of yes. it, where you see everything, like it's shot well. I, yeah, I think it looks that nice. the score it looks like, really, it's just, the score adds to things. The score does absolutely. The score really adds but to things. The whole time you're watching, you're just like. Why don't you put in some speed bumps? Those truckers are going too goddamn fast. They gotta fucking get the shit where they're going. You live on the wrong fucking road. <laughs> That's the thing. The, the problem with Pet Cemetery Town is everybody lives on like forty acres, and then they build their house right next to the highway. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what? Get a bulldozer and move bull- it back. Road, move it back. Oh, and they're the worst parents. Oh, and Denise Crosby. Oh, I was so happy when she got it. I hate that Denise Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> as, as proclaimed on many episodes of Sneaker Madness, I she am not just, a fan. Yeah, she needs to get it by the tar monster every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally do, uh, Pet Cemetery. Even if you hadn't, if you saw it as a kid, as Jackie did, or when you said you saw it about 10 years ago. Yeah. You revisit it. What I'll say it's a blast. Is I, I think it's been probably eight years since I watched it, but like as we're talking about it, I just remember things. Yeah. It's it's a fun movie to watch, and it's actually 
for being a not good movie, it's very well made. Yeah, it's well made, but oh boy, boy it's is it not dumb. good. Yeah, Stephen King really nails it as the preacher too. Oh yeah, when they're burying, he the was kid. actually the best actor in the film. Yeah, he was. Nice. <laughs> well, there's your streaming do's and don'ts, Jackie. What have you got for Good Neighbor, Bad Neighbor? Uh, my first bad Good Neighbor, Bad Neighbor is Scooby Doo. Oh God, Scooby the dog, the dog, I mean, the dog. Okay, all right. Uh, From wow. the cartoons, not the um people. So I mean, he solves mysteries, so that's cool. He uh, honestly, a lot. It's a dog. And Shaggy eat all of the goddamn food. They're so, eating pot brownies, like. And mad. I don't really expect Shaggy to be the best. Like, well, Scooby's gonna poop where he poops, type thing. So I'm, I think, uh, I think a lot of poop in your yard. So I bet they steal your sandwich meat. I've seen a dog loaded on marijuana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's not pretty. Mm-mm. You don't want to be around that dog. No, you. It's do not. gonna snap. It will snap, but if it, it also, it could snap one of two ways. The bad way or the, like, I broken, I, this dog is broken. It is no longer a dog. Yeah, it's no longer a it dog. It just stares at the wall. Or it bites you. Or it bites you. Or it stares at the or wall. Or it hides in a bathtub for, boy, college was a bad time. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. College dogs. Yeah, I'm going to say bad neighbor. I don't like Scooby Doo the neighbor. I'm out. Too much pot. Shaggy's a douche. Uh, I don't really have a problem with Scooby. It's the damn guy that did that to that dog. If he's not all loaded on the Scooby snacks, as we'll call them, I bet he's all right. Mm-hmm. You can apparently solve mysteries. Yeah, dude, you lose your car keys. That dog is on it. The problem with your theory is, and, and the proof is in the pudding, he gets loaded on Scooby snacks once every 30 minutes. And then he's a great Dane. And I've seen some bad things. Yeah. Not like dogs are so vicious. I watched a great day and knock somebody over and then just piss right all over them. Ew! Because yeah. yeah. they're big enough to, like, dominate people, and they're not mean. I mean, that's mean. When you knock somebody over and you piss all over them, it's actually super mean. I'll rephrase that. But they're not vicious. They're just dicks. <laughs> Rut-row. Rut-row. Scooby would, like, knock you over, eat your hot dog, and then piss in your face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bad neighbor. Jackie? Mickey Mouse. Oh, you never told us your uh, Scooby-Doo oh. thoughts. I would say good neighbor. He can help me solve crimes. Because you have a stack of crimes on your desk that need to be solved right now, so, and the only thing you're missing is a great Dane that's high on fucking shit. Now I'm fixated. Yeah. Most of the time, okay, <laughs> the mysteries that Scooby-Doo is solving is like, old man Withers is getting people out of the amusement park. Oh, that's go, not against don't go up the law. It's not against the law. He just wants people to leave don't, him alone. Don't go to that amusement park. You might find something you don't like up me on. But they busted his shit up, and then the police come in like, yeah, what you're doing is against the law, I think. We're going to arrest you. I don't think that they ever solved an actual crime. They just uh, solved a bunch of bullshit yeah. and fucked up everybody's life because they're all stoned. Yeah, yeah. Rolling around. Yeah. Jackasses. All right, what you got next? Mickey Mouse. But the stipulation for this one is that he lives in the Mickey Mouse clubhouse. Mm. Okay. So you live right next door to Mickey Mouse, who lives in the Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. I mm-hmm. watch Mickey Mouse Clubhouse a lot because I have a child of the age that watches that, and I don't really care for anybody on that show. You know, I uh, fuck. Oh, uh, this is a hard one because I really hate that little bastard. I mean, I just hate Mickey Mouse so goddamn much. Let me give you an idea what happens in the clubhouse. Well, everybody has to come <laughs> because Minnie is having a bow show. What's a bow show? Like the bow on her head? She's oh. having a whole... Oh, so it's like, like she's having a Tupperware party. It's not a Tupperware party. It's like the expo building at the fair. Like, you have an entire trade show of her bows. Yeah, you they have, have to a shop show with up, Daisy. 
You have to show up and you have to bring something. So this that- sounds like the shittiest neighbors ever. Oh, yes. Like, ex- my, uh, uh, 16 and pregnant ladies, uh, the, the, the pageant gals that are on reality TV, the real stepwives of, or housewives of Beverly Hills or whatever that shit is called. That's all this. The Kardashians? You're living next to the goddamn Kardashians when it's- you live next to fucking Mickey and Minnie. Ugh. Absolutely. Ugh. I'm out. No, I'm in because they have toodles. They have bow shows. They have toodles. They, you would live what next. What do you? Toodles? Would you live next to the Kardashians? No, those yes, people you would. suck. I see no. the look in your eyes. No. You're like, I what would live toodles? next to the Kardashians. Do I even care what toodles is? Toodles is this thing that brings help. So if you need to get up on the roof, you go, oh, toodles, and then toodles brings you a ladder. So I would live next to them just so I could use Toodles. So Toodles is the guy from the State Farm commercials. You just go, uh, bah, 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 State Farm is there, and then a ladder shows up. No, you go, oh, Toodles, and so then Toodles brings you a special surprise. You want the power of State Farm insurance. I want the power of Toodles. And you're willing to sacrifice living next to the Kardashians, Kardashians. to have that power. I'm yes. still not certain. Jackie, look me in the eyes and tell me if you wouldn't enjoy living next to the Kardashians. I do not want to live next to the Kardashians. No. Hi. I would throw oh, oh, tomatoes oh, oh. at them. Look, I would I'm, have a boomerang. I'm going to bounce this off of you guys. Kardashians. Hi. Or Mickey. Hi. What's the difference? They're evil. All of them suck. Bad neighbors. Not much difference. Yeah. I'm going good neighbor. Move on. Boo. And my last one is. Dun, 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 Flash. Dun, dun. Flash. Mm. Uh, Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon. Like so, he can lift stuff. He's an idiot. He's a miracle. He's got a bunch of money. There's he's probably he just, is an idiot. Oh God, it would be like living next. So basically, what you're proposing is if Mark Sanchez didn't travel through a wormhole and save another dimension, uh-huh. then you just live next to him, which would suck. No, Flash Gordon. With his sweet hair oh, I'm and talking his about sweet t-shirt. The neighbor of Flash Gordon is quarterback of the Jets, Mark Sanchez. They're okay, whatever. very, Ugh, very similar. I live next to Mark Sanchez. Actually, Mark Sanchez isn't uh, a very good... There's got to be a worse Jet quarterback than Mark Sanchez uh, to compare this to. It ain't Vinny T, because I'd, li- I'd live right next to Vinny uh, T. That man's an American hero. Oh, I'm going no oh. with the Flash Gordon because he probably throws naked pool parties, and I, you know, he doesn't even know what he's doing. He yeah. doesn't have a clue. He is c- completely clueless. You could go over there though if you were the if you got in his ear if you if you slogged through like, like three years next to Dauber. if you lived next to him through all of the shit and you had the worst neighbor ever for three years and you got his ear. Then all of a sudden, you could basically make his house an extension of your own. Because if you recommended something, he would be like, yeah, that seems good. Yeah, he's Dauber. He's totally Dauber from Coach. Would you live next to Dauber? Oh, Dauber has a good... I have no interest in living next to Dauber. Dauber has a gauge for right and wrong. He would come over and borrow a piece of bread, and then the bread would end up on my countertop. Like, Dauber, did you borrow this piece of bread? Oh, yeah, I did. Why did you set it on the counter? There's ants everywhere. Uh, I needed an egg as well. I took the egg over to my house and I was coming back for that sandwich or the piece of bread next week. No, they're both idiots. I'm out. Dauber has a a gauge for right and wrong. Flash Gordon does not. Three bad neighbors. Bad neighbor. Bad neighbor. Bad neighbor for Flash Gordon. But I would be neighbors with Scooby and Mickey. Hmm. You're in the minority. There you go. Sam, tell us about... Can't stop the music. 
Can't Stop the Music was made in 1980. Coincidentally, right around the same time as Xanadu. Directed by Nancy Walker, who started as a stage comedian and screen actress. She was Mildred on McMillan and Wife, and Ida Morgenstern on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, as well as its spin-off, Rhoda. She started directing on the last two aforementioned shows. Her only other non-TV series directing credit is Magic Knight, a television special tie-in to this film hmm. that was starring Cher, uh-huh. Steve Gutenberg, uh-huh. and Hugh Hefner. Uh-huh. Because the village people were good enough for the big screen, but Hugh Hefner and Cher weren't. Uh-huh. Gutenberg uh-huh. gets to be in both. Yeah. Wait, Gutenberg's in Can't Stop the Music? Fuck yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you know, I guess I could scratch that note off for later, but whatever. Mahoney. Mahoney. The film is written and produced by Alan Carr, who was a producer on Grease, its sequel, and Cloak and Dagger, among only several others. He is more known for managing such heavyweights as Tony Curtis, Peter Sellers, Rosalind Russell, and Diane Cannon. Wait, what, what does this guy do? He was a uh, He's manager. He's a producer? He's, He's a producer-writer. Producer of this film. Of this film. Managers have no business doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, continue. Can't Stop the Music was Bruce Jenner's film debut Kate, after Kate becoming Lina. famous for three world record-setting performances in the decathlon. A gold medal win at the 1976 Olympic Games. Jenner's record stood from 1975 until shortly before this film's 1980 release. Jenner's appearance in Can't Stop the Music was his only film role until 2011 when he appeared as himself alongside Al Pacino in Adam Sandler's Jack and Jill, which, like Can't Stop the Music, won the Golden Raspberry Award for Worst Picture. After starring in those two debacles, Bruce Jenner became a lady. Anyway, it's interesting that he bookended for I'm his gonna, part. I'm going to edit out that joke. That was yeah, terrible. no, you should leave all of it in because it sucks. He was just on the cover of Vogue magazine. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you know who cares about Bruce Jenner becoming a lady? You. No, I don't. I no, think kind you of an do. Ugly lady. You do. You're excited about it. Mm-hmm. He looks better than his ex-wife. Oh, yeah. Like a lot better. <laughs> Producer Alan Carr was coming off a major, massive worldwide hit with the pop musical Grease when shooting began in May 1979 at the height of the disco craze. Carr took a hands-on role with the production and personally directed and cast the male athlete extras for the YMCA musical sequence. He had attempted to cast Grease star Olivia Newton-John for this film as Samantha, but after discussions between her and producer John Farrar and Morelli, who would write Newton-John's numbers, Newton-John instead signed on to play the lead in Xanadu. Yeah, she was busy. Yep. Being was she terrible. Being terrible. Oh, well, actually, she was busy being mediocre. Being medi- being her. Yeah. Being almost hot, I guess. Almost hot. Almost I good guess. at singing. Almost decent at dancing. Uh, the first draft of the script was written by Bruce Valanche. Oh, mm. no, not Bruce. Yeah. We have seen Bruce on the show before. Yeah, and it's always the first draft, like, somebody <laughs> needs shit, and they're like, Bruce, I'm going to give you 20. Crank this out in 10 minutes. I'm going to give you $20,000 if you can give me, and they call him it, like, he's the guy that I, I work, I'm not going to talk about my work in in detail, but he's I give these guys, about it. right, that, you know, call him, like, it's 3 p.m., but I need something tomorrow at 10. Can you do that? Yeah. 
That's what Ruth Valanche does. They're like, I need an entire movie script. Oh, they call God. you at three, and they need it at ten a.m. And Bruce Bruce Valanche is like, all right. And then it ends up being another, you know, fucking debacle. But it started with a script that was written in four hours. So, for those of you who uh, are not Stinger Madness or Bruce Valanche historians, Bruce Valanche also wrote the Star Wars Holiday Special. He's written a lot. Bruce Valanche is somebody. He didn't do it by you know, blockbusters or awards or anything. He just wrote shit, and he wrote a lot of it. Half of the film's $20 million U.S. budget was spent 20 on... 20 fucking... What do you spend $20 million on? Now, this is what's interesting. Before they... Now they don't do this like this anymore. Half of the film's budget was spent on worldwide publicity campaigns. So the marketing is actually oh, included in the budget. budget. Yeah. So how much do you think of that was? Probably three quarters of that? So Half it probably cost... Of the film's budget. Oh, so, you just said that, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Would you like me to read? So, can you divide 20 by by Carry two? the seven. Multiply. There's a mouse in there somewhere. Uh, factor in for the A. Uh, ten. Comes to $10 million. Ten? Even ten, though, in 1980. I wear what? Who? This is an audio, it's like a documentary, a fake documentary about the village people. There's explosions and, and, and jet planes and, and no. laser guns? What the fuck? Dude, I'm pretty sure if they did a $10 million, like, hey, come see this movie, there would probably be some spectacular billboards. Cause billboards were kind of the way to advertise. Oh, the yeah. 80s. No, they had, uh, these openings that were just lavish with production. So you like you were part of the music that couldn't be stopped when you just went to the damn theater. You can't stop the music from on opening night. On opening night, it was like the when you went to the midnight showings of Star Wars, the second three that were the first three, and there was people lightsabering each other, mm -hmm. and everybody was dressed up. It was like that, but it was put on by the people that made the movie. Uh huh. Yeah. All right. All right proceed. John Wilson saw this. On a 99-cent double bill with Xanadu, and it inspired the Razzie Awards. This one won. The milkshake song and dance sequence took two weeks of rehearsal, five days to film, and 57 camera positions. Does it go like all the boys in the yard want my milkshake so. or something like that? Some members of the village my people... milkshake brings all the boys to the yard? That's what it is. Yeah, yeah that's what it is. Yeah. I don't think you have that, Justin. Well, some of the members of the That's village. a big butt song, isn't it? Isn't her milkshake? Uh, I believe it's her, her babies. No. It's uh, baby. no. Like, what, is there milk in people's butts? No, it just seems like all of the songs are Maybe about if you're lactose intolerant. About butts. Where these he, where, where he so used to go before you guys huge, were married. He, huge jiggly butts. These, he went to these bathhouses where men would fill up their butts with milk and spray it on his face. It's icky. In the yard. In the <laughs> Why not? You know, sunny. Summertime fun. Just... <laughs> Just like they say, right? The village people said they disliked the way the film distorted the formation of the group and toned down the influence of gay male subculture. However, the film was never meant to be a biography of them, so they're just pissed about nothing. Aha! Take that. Originally, it was supposed to be about an Olivia Newton-John. They're like, this film's not about us at all. Yeah, you're just in it, you fucking jackasses. <laughs> Wowie, wow. Oh... The grand finale musical sequence featured over 2,000 people. Holy shit. Despite the fact that the film received a PG rating, the Motion Picture of Association of America, wait, that's who gave it the PG rating, there are flashes of full frontal male nudity in the YMCA number. Oh, no. As well as 
Topless Valerie Parade in the hot tub. Oh, boy. <laughs> Baskin Robbins had, had a flavor of the month tie-in called Can't Stop the Nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not making this up. That's that is good. Awesome. That's good. Good for them. Can't stop the nuts. <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of store tie-ins with that, and there's some product placement in this film. Bruce Jenner ultimately chose to appear in this film instead of a role that had been, been written for him in Airplane. That role later was filled by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Uh-huh. Okay. Who didn't become a lady because yes. he wasn't in this movie. Uh-huh. Uh, beyond the village people, the film also stars Valerie Perrine, former showgirl who became a playmate, who became a big time star. She is in relevant films such as Kurt Vonnegut's The Slaughterhouse Five, Lenny, and Cannonball Run. Hmm. Oh, okay, wait. You know, I'll concede that the Cannonball Run was the only one on that list that was really relevant. Well, maybe we should ask him. I don't want to talk about Dun, him. dun, dun! Ah, Steve Gutenberg is possibly the star of this movie. I can't quite tell. Oh, fuck. Keep an eye out for Barbara Rush and Jack Weston. We're about to get gutened. Gutened. Yeah. Well, there you go. Uh, can't Stop the Music is currently streaming on Netflix. So check it out, because I imagine uh, as fast as they're pulling shit off there, it's not going to be on there for too much longer. In the meantime, Can't Stop the Chopper! In the Navy and uh, Macho Man are not in this movie. Oh no. Can't stop the chopper. Can't stop the chopper. I can stop the podcast. Thank you for listening to Stinker Madness. If this is your first time, we hope you enjoyed it and we'll come back to listen more. But now, we'd like to ask all of our listeners for a small favor. We aren't ranking as high as we'd like, and we need your help. Would you please take just a couple of minutes to rate and review us on your preferred listening platform, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you can. It takes many hours each week to bring you this show, and just a couple seconds of your time is a huge help for us. And for those of you that have already done this, we say thank you. Dude. <laughs> it's only gay if Terry does it to me, but not if I'm doing it. And gets paid. I'm not gay. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>